Brothers and sisters in Christ, those who have been called by Jesus, blessed to be a blessing. Grace and peace are yours. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I want to read for you Acts chapter 4. I want you to have in mind the reading from Romans, which you've already heard, and, and just what it means to be a citizen of God, to be a citizen who lives knowing that God has given you his care by giving you this left-hand kingdom, the kingdom of power, and this right-hand kingdom, the kingdom of his grace. Listen to what happens to John and Peter. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name in heaven given to all man by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not see the man who had been healed, stand, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Those words speak to us about what God is capable of doing. They speak to us about God's work in our lives and God's work in the lives of Peter and John and through them. And today, thinking about this two-kingdom thing, and I'll explain a little bit more as we go along, I'm taken back to my roots in some way, to my training. I was an undergraduate major in American history and political science. So political science and seminary, which ensured that I would never have a dispassionate conversation with anyone ever, <laughs> right? Politics and religion. So if you want to come argue, I guess I'm your guy. No, not really. But it is true, and reflecting on these words kind of took me back to some of that, and to some of that political science training and what it means to trust in God. But today is not just about a lecture on, on good governance or what it means for us to be citizens of these kingdoms. But it's instead a demonstration of the way that God cares for us. That he cares for us so much that he would provide for us order and grace. And to see that at work, to see that this is God's gift to me. And, and again, to put it in context of what we've been talking about this summer, this is part of our Reformation Truths series. The 500 years that have ensued since the Reformation. There have been all sorts of truths that we cling to. Again, we love to talk about justification, what it means to be made right before God by the work of Jesus. About the restoration of the gospel and what it means to trust in the Bible as God's word. But those things have lasting ramifications, lasting effects on our lives every day. And two-kingdom theology is a place where we see this very clearly. Because this is something that affects our modern American society. It's something that has been the foundation and continues to this day, even within our Constitution, with our, our separation of powers that we talk about. In fact, some of our founding fathers, James Madison, for example, said that that originated in the Reformation in the theology of Martin Luther, reflecting on what it means to know that God provides for us in both arenas. 
And so when we think about this Reformation truth, we also have to acknowledge our own sinfulness. Because today is about authority. And it's about recognizing the authority over us. And we don't like to talk about authority at all, do we? I mean, be honest. When you start talking about authority, the little preschooler crawls out from inside of you. Or the preschooler likes to push back and rebel. You know, we, um, we built this playground here, assuming you guys know about this, right? And it's so funny because the parents who come in with their children or sitters who come with their children or grandparents come with their children, um, the first thing that they do, and it always makes me laugh, is they come through the doors here and they immediately shush their kids, right? Because we're, we're in a church, so you have to be quiet. You know, and, and I always, I, we are, actually, Victor and I have joked about putting on the sign, like we built a play area for kids to be loud. We get it. We're good. Let them fire it up. It's good. But on the way out, you get to witness something a little bit different, right? On the way out, and, and probably once a week, you hear a little kid turn to the sitter, their nanny, grandma, grandpa, sometimes even mom and dad, and they don't want to leave. They want to stay and play. And so they bring out this phrase, you're not the boss of me. <laughs> right? And that phrase is like fingernails on a chalkboard. <laughs> right? And it's that, it's that preschooler that's ultimately saying, I know what's best for me. What's best for me here is to keep playing, and maybe it is. But we all have that inner preschooler when we see authority when it directs us in in a way that we don't like or that we're not comfortable with that inner preschooler comes out of each one of us that wants to cry out you're not the boss of me and wants to push back and rebel against it but then when the going gets rough then when things aren't going so well when we're dealing with tremendous difficulty when the road gets rocky, then we want to be reminded that there is someone in authority over us to keep us safe. And so we live in this constant tension, this tension of wanting to push back and rebel, to be our own authority, to be the ones who are in charge, and yet to trust and to know that we are safe. And God knows this about us. And so he creates for us authorities over us. He creates for us ways for us to be protected even beyond our own capabilities. And yet, and yet we push and rebel against them. And we see that in our text for today. We see God at work. We see it illustrated in what's happening with the disciples. And we see this truth, this thing that I want you to remember today, the thing I was saying to the kids, that God cares for you. And because he does, he has established these two kingdoms, the kingdom of order and the kingdom of grace. Now, see what the disciples do with this. The disciples had witnessed the authority of Jesus, right? They had witnessed the authority of Jesus. They had walked with him during his time on earth, and they had witnessed his resurrection. They had seen one who was formerly dead, who was now alive. They ate lunch with him, excuse me, they ate lunch with him on the beach. They ate fish with him in the upper room. They saw him and interacted. They listened to him teach. They saw him and touched him. They saw the resurrection. And the resurrection put everything else into focus for them, including the crucifixion, so that they understood that this one who died had died an innocent death on their behalf, and that this one who was raised was raised by the power of God to demonstrate authority over death, and that they also would be set free from sin and from death themselves. And this becomes the content of their preaching. 
Right In the beginning chapters of the book of Acts, Peter is repeating this over and over again to people about this Jesus who was crucified and raised to life that all might know his salvation. They had been commissioned in it. Matthew 28 and John chapter 21, the disciples had been brought together around Jesus and Jesus had commissioned them, right? He had called them, he had sent them out and said, go, tell about what I've done. Go and proclaim the love that God has for them. And they had. And in the name of Jesus, they were not only proclaiming the word, but they were doing the word. And so just before this, in the event that causes them to be called to account before the Sanhedrin, Peter and John were going up to the temple. They were going up to worship. They were passing through the beautiful gate, which is also, I think, what the preschool kids call the doors into the play area, coincidentally. They're going up into the beautiful gate, the temple. And as they go up there, they see a beggar laying by the side. And this wonderful thing happens, right? Peter and John see him there. They look directly at him. They see this faith that's at work in him. And they tell him, in the name of Jesus, right, these wonderful words, I have not gold or silver, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. They have healed a man. They've healed a man who is over 40 years old. As a man who's over 40 years old, I push back a little against that detail in the story. But you understand why it's being told. It's not just something that he grows out of. It's not just something that afflicts him as a child that gets better as he grows. Instead, it's something that he's dealt with, it seems, his entire life. No one's been able to fix this, but in the name of Jesus, he is healed. The disciples witness the authority of Jesus in his resurrection, in his commissioning, in this miraculous healing, and it gives them clarity into who Jesus is and what Jesus is capable of doing. The disciples are faithful witnesses, and they're faithful witnesses for us because we haven't experienced the same witness. We, we haven't been witnesses. We haven't experienced the authority of Jesus in the same way. We didn't get a chance to eat fish with him on the beach or in the upper room. We didn't get a chance to place our hands in his side and to touch the nail marks. We didn't hear him teach. We didn't cling to his feet in the garden. We didn't have the same experience. But through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have eyewitness testimony for us that we can hear the words of the disciples, of the authority that they saw, of the ways that God worked in and through them, and that they can be faithful witnesses for us so that we can then be good judges of authority around us to see what it is that God is capable of doing. But you see, even in the time, even in the moment of Peter and John and this healing, Jesus isn't the only authority in the world. There is authority In fact, Peter and John stand trial before that authority. They're placed in jail, and then they're removed, and they're brought once again to trial. They're standing before these rulers, and the rulers have real power and real authority to punish them for what they've done. Now, it seems almost foolish, right, that they would be punished for healing somebody, that they would be punished for doing something good for somebody. And yet what you see is that others are turning toward this authority in Jesus, and so it feels like their authority is being taken away. They're confusing these two, aren't they? They think that as Jesus increases, that somehow their power decreases instead of realizing that it's God himself who has given both types. 
worldly authority can sometimes cloud our view of Jesus' authority. Worldly authority is real. We see it at work all around us. And if you don't believe me, what happens when you're driving down the road and a police officer suddenly is following you in your rearview mirror? This is the second week in a row that I've made reference to uh, being pulled over. Maybe I have something more to confess to you. But if you go with the analogy for just a second, as soon as you see that in the rearview mirror, you pass a police officer sitting on the side of the road, you immediately look down, right? A lot of people hit their brakes. Just hope you're not following them too closely. And you think, oh, I must be speeding. And then you right away go, oh, he's trying to trick people. That police, that, they're trying to trick people. That's what they're trying to do. And catch people, right? The little preschooler starts to creep out again. And sometimes that's the way we see worldly authority. We see it as out to get us. And we see it as corrupt. And sometimes it is. Because there are sinful people who are involved in this. And yet, nevertheless, we see from God's word, the Bible, that this authority is from God. We see, nevertheless, in places like Romans chapter 13, very clear teaching that this authority is given to us by God. Even though it's corrupted by human beings, it's still given to us by God. And we're reminded of a Jesus standing on trial before a ruler named Pilate. And rather than freeing himself, which was completely in his power, instead we see Jesus making a declaration. The authority that is yours is given to you by my Father. Even in the face of corruption, Jesus still honors the governing authority. This is the kingdom of the left hand, as we say. The kingdom of the left hand that manages our world, that creates order for us. It's a good gift that God gives to us, this kingdom of the left hand. The kingdom of the left hand is the way that God ensures that we can live safe lives, that there is order in our universe, because otherwise what would happen as all of us sinful people interact with one another, as all of us sinful people are only self-interested and only seek that which is ours, we live in this type of chaos in order to prevent that. God gives us this left-hand kingdom of governing authorities. And sometimes we forget the purpose of that left-hand kingdom. We forget that purpose of order on our behalf, of safety on our behalf, because we want to push back and rebel against it, or because we want it to give us something that it's not promised to give. You see, we know the outcome of this kingdom of the left, because Paul articulates for us in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He's talking about prayer, and he says, I urge that petitions and prayers be made for all, even for those in governing authorities, right? This is the exact quote, that prayers, petitions, and intercessions be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. And here's the reason why, that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's it. No guarantee of success no guarantee of the pursuit of happiness even, that we might live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and holiness. And then he continues, and this is good and pleases God our Father, God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, God has established this order for us so that his love can be preached to the world, so that we can live quiet and peaceful lives. It's God's gift to us. 
but it's not the only kingdom of which we are a citizen. It's not the only kingdom that we experience. There is the authority of Jesus. There is this thing that we call the kingdom of the right hand, which is God's kingdom of grace for us. This is God who extends his rule of grace and of forgiveness and of love to us. It's here that we have the blessing of God. It's here where God's name is hallowed and praised. This is where we get the gift of mercy. And when we get those two confused, when we get those two things mixed up, then we've got real problems. When the government tries to tell God's kingdom of grace, what it can and can't do, there's a problem. And when the church tries to seize a power that is not its own, we have a problem. You see, that's the situation at the time of the Reformation. The time of the Reformation, the church tried to seize all governing authority, tried to declare itself to be the true kingdom of power in the world. But that's against what God's scriptures say. That far from that, instead, we live in this kingdom, this kingdom of grace as the church. You see, Martin Luther was able to talk about this because of things like Acts chapter 4. Because if you were listening closely in Acts chapter 4, what you heard is that the ruling authorities that were jailing Peter and John, the ruling authorities in front of whom they were standing that day, were actually church authorities. There were people who were supposed to know the ways of God. There were people who were supposed to be able to judge for themselves. And that's why Peter says to him, you be the judge. Should we obey you or should we obey God? You see, Peter was declaring God's kingdom over them. Do you want to just deal in the kingdom of the right or do you want to deal in the kingdom of the left as well? We must obey God, Peter says. And that extends to us as well. That means we have to keep an eternal perspective because of what Jesus has done. It means that we, in our perspective of what Jesus has done, must be good judges. And so that means in the, in the kingdom of the left, the kingdom of the world, to let the little things be little things. And to not try to invoke God in every type of debate. To stay instead that the kingdom of the right has a place that it has the right to do these things in order to maintain order. See, corruption and injustice aren't the only problems in the world. And there have always been corruption and injustice. And so we're reminded that Peter, the same Peter who is declaring this, will ultimately submit himself to the governing authorities and will be killed as a prisoner of the state. The Apostle Paul, who writes Romans chapter 13 and 1 Timothy 2, will ultimately be killed as a prisoner of the state. And they follow after the way of their Savior Jesus, who himself did not rebel against the governing authorities, but instead submitted to an unjust and righteous death as a prisoner of the state. Not to be our example, but to be our Savior to be the one who rules over us in this kingdom of grace, this place of forgiveness and love, this kingdom which extends over all, that we would know that these are both gifts of God given to us. And there are times for resistance, and that's another time that we can talk. There are times for resistance when the government tells us that we cannot be Christian. And that time has come and will likely come again. When the government mixes up its authority and tries to declare what we can and cannot believe, 
But for now, our responsibility is to let all know that we have been with Jesus. To let everyone see the experience that we have had in the kingdom of God's grace. To declare what God's love has done for us and the forgiveness of sins. To declare what our Savior has done to be first over all and to declare a God who cares for us. Because that's the gift that God gives to us. The gift of order to sustain us in his name. Because there's a third kingdom that we haven't talked about. And it's God's kingdom of glory. That God's intent is that all would be there. That we would dwell eternally with him in a place where there is no more corruption. In a place where there is no more injustice. In a place where the preschooler no longer cries out, you're not the boss of me. But instead is a forgiven child of God. Who rejoices in the love and forgiveness that Jesus has for them. Brothers and sisters, God cares for you. And because he cares for you, he provides order and safety. That you might live quiet and peaceable lives to the praise and honor of God your Savior. That you might know his love and mercy. That you might abide in his forgiveness. That one day you dwell eternally with him in the paradise of God, his kingdom of glory. In the name and for the glory of our Savior Jesus. Amen.